Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We're headed to the home stretch of football season and basketball is in full swing. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the action this year. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast Live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. It's NFL Monday once again, everybody. Hope y'all are doing fantastic, however and whenever you may be listening. Actually, I hope you're doing better than fantastic. I hope you're doing fantabulous here on this day. It's NFL Week 15 wrap-up, so we got... Green Bay and Baltimore talk, because that was an interesting game. Reluctantly talking about the Pittsburgh and Tennessee game. Uh, The Jaguars may have locked in the number one pick. What do we do with the Arizona Cardinals and how we reevaluate things down the line in the season? It's all interesting. It's all fun. Uh, More fun over on the Memes of the Weekend podcast, but more insightful intuition here on the NFL Monday podcast. I think we hit like eight of the games here, eight or nine of the games we talk about. There's only 10 this week because a lot of them are Monday, Tuesday games, but we're going to hit as many of these games as we possibly can because we have a rule that every Monday we talk about every single game. We have done it across last year and this year we have done it with every Monday game either here or on the Memes of the Weekend podcast. So everything is coming up in a little bit. First and foremost here on the NFL Monday, the New Orleans Camaras. The New Orleans Camaras did it! I knew putting my faith in the New Orleans Camaras would reward me in the long run. I said last week that the Saints' best strategy at this point would be to just burn Alvin Kamara into the ground for these next four games, have him run for 12, 13 touchdowns, And that would be the best way for the Saints to get a meaningless seventh playoff seed. So they are going to be the New Orleans Camaras for the remainder of the playoffs. And what do they do for the team that I say is the best of bad options in what we like to call the bottomless pit of hell that is the NFC seventh seed? What do we do? The New Orleans Camaras blank the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football. Win a 9-0 slugfest of a football game. And the New Orleans Saints, without Sean Payton available, win a crazy, 
crazy game against what we thought was the best team in the NFC, or maybe the second best team in the NFC, or at least a team who's going to make the conference championship, and might still be because it was just a really weird game where New Orleans defense played awesome. Did anyone see the Saints pulling that one off? I sure know I didn't. Why? Because in my fantasy football league, needing a win to get to the playoffs, I dropped the New Orleans Saints defense, added the Miami Dolphin defense, and just, of course, of course the Saints blank the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of the best defensive performances in fantasy football all season after I'd had them as my defense for 12 of 13 weeks the entire season. Of course they blank the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football. Of course the New Orleans Camaras are now one step exponentially closer to making it to the playoffs. And of course I was right. I was right about the New Orleans Camaras. They are going to make the playoffs in a meaningless seven seed, and they didn't even have to run Alvin Kamara into the ground for the remainder of his career all in a couple of weeks. Ah, oh, the New Orleans Camaras came through for me, and I am so happy. Alvin Kamara only had eight rushing yards. He put up a Najee Harris, 11 carries for 18 yards. They didn't even need him because the defense blanked Tom Brady. Blanked Mr. Brady. What an unbelievable win for the New Orleans Camaras. I'm so excited about it. It's not, it's not much to analyze on the offensive side. They scored nine points. There were no touchdowns in the game. It's hard to analyze a game like that. It felt like we were in 1981 watching NFL football, but the New Orleans Camaras got it done against the Bucs. Is it a weird result? Yes, this is just a chaos football result, just like the Arizona-Detroit one was. It tells us more truth about Arizona, and it tells us a little bit of truth about Tampa, especially because Tampa's entire wide receiver core is out with injuries now. It's really, really interesting to see all of that play out. And the New Orleans Camaras get one step closer to getting to escape the bottomless pit of hell that is the NFC 7 seed, which I thought they were going to get all along, even with the Jameis Winston injury, even with the Trevor Semyon experience going as poorly as it did, Camara being out, Michael Thomas being out for season. It still felt like the Saints would find a way. Four-game losing streak after beating the Bucks the first time. And now the Saints have found a way. I'm sorry, the New Orleans Camaras, not the New Orleans Saints, the New Orleans Camaras have found a way back into the seventh wildcard spot, and I don't think they're going to relinquish it because they play Miami, Carolina, and Atlanta the rest of the season. I think they can win all three of those games, get a meaningless seventh wildcard spot, at 10-7, and seven, over Washington, over crazy Minnesota season, over Philadelphia who doesn't belong here, over anyone else who you want to put in the hunt on the in the hunt graphic who isn't actually in the hunt. Thank goodness that the New Orleans Camaras eventually proved me right. Take that, Juju, over on Slump Buster. Take that. I was damn right about the New Orleans Camaras and they are going to make the playoffs as a meaningless seven seed because the Saints I mean the, sorry the New Orleans Camaras have been better all season than their record suggested and they're better than all those crap teams at the back end of the NFC let's go New Orleans 
way to give me a victory to walk into or waltz into victory Monday here on NFL Monday, which is technically at the end of NFL Monday because we always have to record Sunday Night Football after we finish the original podcast. And watching that game play out on the screen while recording the podcast, I'm like, oh, this is a lead story. In a really, really tedious, boring NFL Monday, that is our lead story. The New Orleans Camaras back in the seven seed and proving me exponentially right. Because, of course, the lead topic on any NFL Monday podcast is how can I be right? Last week, how was I right about the Baltimore Ravens? The week before that, how was I right about the Tennessee Titans being bad on offense? Seems to be a common theme here on these NFL Monday podcasts is how can we start it off with how was Kyle right? How was Kyle absolutely right about everything that was going on? is so disgruntled with Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams is not good as far as this weekend as far as training camp we will see there's been one message consistently coming out of Aaron Rodgers camp and and that's I don't want to be here well that was a hell of a game now wasn't it Green Bay Packers ended up winning against Baltimore by the way shout out to Tyler Huntley because Tyler Huntley was the quarterback at Utah that no one really knew, not just because the Pac-12 is mediocre, but because the Pac-12 is also on the West Coast for the most part, like relative to the rest of the country. I know Utah is in the mountain time zone, which, to be honest, might make them even more obscure. It's the same reason why we don't really believe in the Utah Jazz. But Tyler Huntley had an awesome college career and just no real like future in the NFL. He's just one of these like great like w- the way college quarterbacks used to be where you could win the Heisman and then not go to the NFL. Like Tyler Huntley had an awesome college career and he's showing that like in the Baltimore offense he can play better than we think and I don't know if that has to do with Greg Roman or John Harbaugh or what it has to do. It's it's not a large enough sample size to figure out or how good Tyler Huntley is. I don't know if there's any way to truly know or quantify what Lamar Jackson brings to that team. But I want to give Tyler Huntley props because it's an impossible situation that he walked into. Baltimore is probably not going to make the playoffs. Their entire playoff hopes come down to next week's game against the Bengals. Like it's win or go home for the Baltimore Ravens. Like you you either beat the Cincinnati Bengals next week or you're not going to make the playoffs. And it's just because the, the AFC playoffs happen to be so deep this year and everyone's so evenly matched. Uh, not necessarily like with the Chiefs at the top, but everyone else. You saw the Colts beat the Patriots this weekend, and the Ravens can beat the Bengals, but the Bengals can also beat the Ravens, and both those teams, one is in the playoffs and one is not based on a one-game flip. Like, the top nine teams in the AFC, all very good, all very evenly matched, other than the, Patri- or the Chiefs being better than everyone else. What I wanted to get to with this game is... Baltimore almost got the win against a Packers team that was executing almost on all cylinders. Like, 
Defensively, yeah, they kind of fell apart towards the back end of the game. But Baltimore finding a way to keep pushing forward with that team, that shell of a team that they had that we ranted about last week, and the fact that Aaron Rodgers was still 23 for 31, 268 yards, three touchdowns, a 32 passer, 132 passer rating this week. It reminds me of that week when Aaron Rodgers put up 130 passer rating earlier in the year and they still lost to Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. Like, this was just Baltimore playing at the level of a Packers team that we all know is really, really good. And you know what? Hats off to Baltimore for pulling it off. Like, it's really remarkable that Baltimore was able to get that one and get that get that close to get that close after being down 31-17 late in the fourth quarter playing thoroughly out uh, thoroughly outplayed by the Green Bay Packers for most of the game the fact that Baltimore got to that point pretty remarkable on their part especially cuz Aaron Rodgers didn't give them the mistakes this was Huntley with first and second reads all throughout the game and running the ball similarly to how Lamar Jackson runs the ball and getting out on the left side and like it's cliche to say that he looks like Lamar Jackson. It's not great analysis, but I'm also very tired. So Lamar Jackson-esque would be the way that simplification describes what Tyler Huntley did. And Tyler Huntley, hats off to you, because it was an incredible, incredible performance to get back in there. And the two-point conversion, totally agree with the call. Second Baltimore score, the second Huntley scored that touchdown with 42 seconds, I'm like, go for it. Go for two. Go for two. Aaron Rodgers can touch the ball twice before you get to touch the ball again. Like, go for two, one play. It wasn't a great play call, but go for one play. Try and win the game. Just play that strategy out and live with the consequences. And by the way, Justin Tucker could maybe kick an onside kick better than anyone else in the sport, even if that one didn't get the bounce they were looking for. Just play the odds on that one. Play the two-point conversion game. Try and get the win. It, it, I like the call there. It was the right call, regardless of what analytic or whatever people want to have an argument about where they go to their corners about, this is an analytical move, or this is not an analytical move. I like the call. I like the call against Pittsburgh. If those two plays change for the Baltimore Ravens, the Baltimore Ravens are 10-4 and four with all the injuries this season. The Baltimore Ravens have had every single injury you can imagine this season on their team. The Baltimore Ravens have gone through... 16 different opening day starters in training camp, like projected 22 starters, 16 have spent extended time missing games this year. They've gone through every injury in the books, and Baltimore has still found themselves only missing the playoffs because they're unlucky in one possession games. How freaking incredible is that? After all that, they're just unlucky in one possession games. A big part of that is Lamar Jackson, and today it was Tyler Huntley doing a good job and storming back at the end to try and beat the Green Bay Packers. It would have been the the leading story all the way through and through on the podcast if they had pulled the comeback off. And now Baltimore gets one game. One game. It's as simple as that. Bengals versus Ravens. Winner is going to win the AFC North. Loser probably misses the playoffs. Bengals and Ravens both have hard schedules to finish the season. Ravens, after the Bengals game, play the Rams and the Steelers. The Bengals play the Chiefs and the Browns. So winner probably makes the playoffs. Loser's going to be 8-7 and seven and have two hard games left to finish the season. Winner probably wins the AFC North. Loser doesn't make the playoffs. You get one team in the AFC North, they're going to make the playoffs. And that's fun 
because we've created stakes and storylines more than the NFL already needs to create around that Ravens and Bengals game. Stakes and storylines through and through for that Ravens-Bengals game. It's going to be absolutely fantastic, even if it's Tyler Huntley playing and even if the Bengals are going to be favored in said game. Stakes and storylines, they create interest, especially on Boxing Day next week. Holy shit, Detroit. Uh, this this was not something that I was prepared for or expected to discuss. Uh, the Detroit Lions thoroughly dominated the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I said on Wired Up this week that the Atlanta Falcons would lose every game the rest of the season, starting from 6-7 and seven last week. They did indeed lose to the San Francisco 49ers this week. The 49ers had three different people rush in a touchdown, and I was watching... Uh, the second half of that game on the red zone and I saw Matt Ryan get stripped by Nick Bosa trying to scramble out of the pocket and it was just like just Matt Ryan lying flat on his face was like he's like one step away from Ben Roethlisberger just one step away from Matt Ryan becoming Ben Roethlisberger and the Falcons play the Lions next week and I was like, the Lions are going to win one of these games eventually. I think it's going to be the Falcons. And then they came out and just boat raced the Arizona Cardinals. Like a team that we thought was really, really good in Arizona has not looked as good in the past three weeks or so. And you can like take, a, take it with a grain of salt that Kyler Murray was out and take it with a grain of salt that A.J. Green doesn't turn around on that pass that was absolutely stupid with the Green Bay Packers. And Take all of that with a grain of salt and now look at the Arizona Cardinals. Because NFL teams change from the start of the season to the end of the season. Like, there is huge changes, not just with injury, but like the talent level of teams. Like, the Colts were not good at the start of the year. The Colts are really good now. Arizona was rolling at the start of the season. And I said at the beginning, like, Arizona's really good. I don't think they're better than the Packers. But that might be the only team. And as we've gone on, I've gone to the Bucks are better than Arizona. The Rams might be better than Arizona. Then the Rams win on Monday night. And I'm like, they're both about the same team. I learned very little from that game. And then DeAndre Hopkins is out for the rest of the year. And then J.J. Watt, who's been out for the rest of the year, really starts to eat up at them. And Max Williams has been gone for the entire season. And they've lost multiple members of their offensive line for the season. And now I'm looking at the Cardinals and saying, now I know why the Arizona Cardinals struggled to make the playoffs last season and why it was so shocking that the Arizona Cardinals were as dominant as they were to start the season. Arizona is indeed vulnerable. I didn't think they were that vulnerable. I thought this would be a get right witch a week for the Arizona Cardinals against the Detroit Lions. 
And it was really kind of incredible to see that all play out. And so Arizona ends up getting boat raced by Detroit. And I'm starting to look like, do they have to go play the Cowboys in the first round of the playoffs? Are they going to have to play the Rams in Los Angeles in the first round of the playoffs? Like all of these reevaluations that I'm doing because of a shocking result. Similarly to like Buffalo. Buffalo had a shocking result where they lose to Jacksonville. And it's probably the reason that they don't win the division against the Patriots now. Even if they win next week against New England. Buffalo, you can talk yourself into they might not make the playoffs. But Buffalo, to me, is like they're very clearly the fifth seed in the AFC. And if they're not going to be the fifth seed, it's going to be semantics that they end up as the sixth seed instead of the five seed. The Cardinals are in a similar boat. The Cardinals are either the third or the fourth best team in the NFC. Packers and Bucks clearly a step ahead, although this might not be the day to talk up the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, Bucks and Packers definitely a step ahead. And the Rams and Cardinals and Cowboys are all kind of on the same plateau. And I thought the Cowboys were locked into the four seed. Now that's not a guarantee because the Cowboys play the Cardinals in a couple weeks. And that's going to be like, okay, now we figure out who's going to be the four seed between the Cowboys and Cardinals. And if the Cardinals lose enough games, then the Rams will win the division. And the Rams will get to be the four seed instead of the Dallas Cowboys. It's all super confusing because I thought the Arizona Cardinals would be penciled in as either the two or the three seed in the NFC, and now they got boat raced by the Lions, and that messes with the math with not enough games left to play in the season. So I don't know what to do with Arizona at this point. I don't. I mean, I kind of know what to do with Detroit as they give up the top pick in the draft because we knew Detroit was bad. I thought they would beat the Falcons, so I don't even feel as shocked that the Lions won a game Like because I felt like the Lions still had juice left in them. Jared Goff going 21 for 26 for three touchdowns and having 140 passer rating. Probably wouldn't have expected that. However, we are quick to forget that Jared Goff against the Vikings started out 16 for 18 for 180 yards and two touchdowns in the game they won at the very end. So it's not like it was totally unheard of for Jared Goff to have those stellar games with the Lions. He'd done it semi-recently. I didn't think it would happen again, except against a bad Falcons defense. I didn't think it would happen against a good Cardinals defense and that Kyler Murray would end up having a bad game. And I don't know how healthy Kyler Murray is either. Like, I don't know how to do the math on that, where Kyler Murray the last few weeks has had 60 passer rating against the Rams, 72 passer rating against the Detroit Lions. I don't know how to do the math on what the situation is with Kyler Murray because I don't know how healthy or not healthy Kyler Murray is. It's just really, really interesting to see this all play out because it's making me reevaluate where the Arizona Cardinals stand in the grand scheme of the playoff picture. Arizona's probably not going to make a deep run, and the reason they're probably not going to make a deep run is because at some point, whether in the wild card or in the second round, they're going to play on the road at Tampa or on the road at Green Bay, and they're probably going to be seven-point underdogs in that game. Now it's a question of whether or not Arizona's going to get there, and two losses in a row and three in five games, I know one of them without Kyler Murray, obviously, it makes you start to rethink those things. I try not to do the one game sample, change your entire opinion about someone. 
But I think the foundation was being laid over the past few weeks, not just because like the Cardinals have been losing, which is an important part of it, but because injuries for the season piling up on a team that has really struggled with depth throughout the past two seasons. Because last year when Kyler Murray goes down and when they, they, they deal with injuries in their linebacking core... Uh, during the end of the season, they fall apart and allow the Chicago Bears to make the playoffs who had no business making it to the playoffs. So this is two years in a row where depth ends up leading to a Cardinals demise at the end. That secondary that we thought at the start of the year was going to be bad and then was the most shocking unit in all of the NFL is back to being kind of bad, especially the last few weeks with Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff. That secondary has kind of let down the Arizona Cardinals. I don't know exactly why this has shifted for the Arizona Cardinals or if the start of the season was remarkably good luck and people staying healthy and Arizona, you know, probably should have lost a game or two here and there and ends up being the five seed anyways. I'm not sure exactly how to explain what it all was for Arizona or just, and get ready to take a shot if you're playing the drinking game at home, regression to the mean on Arizona's part. New sponsor alert here on the Take It Easy podcast. It is Lightbox Jewelry. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, Lightbox Jewelry has cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds that you can find at a light price of just $800 per carat. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, priced so they won't have to. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox Diamonds. Never a dull moment. So from the Detroit Lions vantage point, the Lions had a, a good thing going for them early on in the season, and it was this. The Detroit Lions were not as bad as their record suggested. The Lions were just remarkably unlucky in one-possession games. The Detroit Lions lost one possession game against Baltimore, a one possession game against Minnesota that they probably should have won. They, they they played very close in these games and then they end up losing. Remember all those videos of Man Campbell crying the first eight weeks of the season because the Lions had had so many close games that they fell apart in? They've kind of evened out a little bit, like the tie against Pittsburgh, like the win against Minnesota, like the win here. Uh, They coulda, shoulda, woulda had a chance to beat the Chicago Bears on Thanksgiving. Like a lot of those losses have kind of evened out for the the Lions and they're now less unlucky in one possession games. Detroit now just happens to be better than the tanking teams that are now taking the top draft picks from them. What I mean by that is Jacksonville now has the number one pick in the draft because Jacksonville got boat raced by the Houston Texans, who we took at plus five, and the line kept moving in favor of Jacksonville once we got closer to the game. And Davis Mills now has the second highest completion percentage of any quarterback in the rookie class, which is a low bar to hit considering how bad Zach Wilson looked against the Dolphins in the second half and how bad Trevor Lawrence has looked. By the way, did y'all know Trevor Lawrence has nine passing touchdowns on the season and is also like one of the league leaders in pass attempts? Like nine touchdown passes for Trevor Lawrence. I found out during the Steelers game that Fryermuth has like seven receiving touchdowns. And Trevor Lawrence has five 
ha- or nine passing touchdowns on the season. Like it's been so rough for the Jacksonville Jaguars. James Robinson got a touchdown today and there was just a fan sitting in the end zone. It was a downpour at Texans and Jags and yet there were people sitting through a downpour between Texans and Jags. And it was just a boat racing by the Texans. The Texans scored 30 points. Congratulations to the Texans. I thought it was going to be a low-scoring game. But no, the Houston Texans basically got the over by themselves. 30 goddamn points against the Jaguars defense that, like we talked about with Stripe Hype, has no talent. Just no talent on the Jaguars defense. I defy you to name another Jaguar besides... Josh Allen and Miles Jack on that defense. There is nobody on that Jaguars defense. It's so bad. I would come here again and say fire Daryl Bevel, but Daryl Bevel's now the interim goddamn head coach after Urban Meyer got fired. By the way, also shout out, I know we're kind of doing memes of the weekend a little bit here. I want to talk about the draft order, but shout out to the reporter who asked or no, didn't ask, just told Daryl Bevel doing the calculations, Bevel might have more wins as an interim head coach when it's all said and done than Urban Meyer had as an actual head coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's pretty funny how that all worked out for Daryl Bevel's second year in a row as an interim head coach because he replaced Matt Patricia, who got fired last year in Detroit. And the Jaguars now have the number one pick in the draft. And if they lose out, they'll get the number one pick in the draft again. And that feels a little bit like deja vu for last year, except because of a combination of quarterback class is deemed remarkably weak and how bad the top of the rookie class this year has been, we're not as hyped about the NFL draft as we were in 2020. And yet still the Jaguars are probably going to end up with the first pick a, a, a tried and true strategy, by the way. What is the best way to get back to being a really good team in the NFL? What is the most effective way to tank? Get the number one draft pick in a year that has a generational talent. When the Cleveland Browns were doing their tank and they lost 31 out of 32 games, but they should have lost all 32 because the Chargers missed a kick at the dog pound in December. When the Cleveland Browns did that teardown to get the number one pick for Miles Garrett and the number one pick for Baker Mayfield, they said, we are going to hit on at least one. If there's a generational talent every five years and we have the number one pick in two of those years, we're going to hit on at least one of them. The Jaguars thought they had the hit on Trevor Lawrence, and now they're going to be the number one pick next year, and none of us really know how good Trevor Lawrence is. If you want to hear a conversation about that and Zach Wilson encourage you to check out the Stripe Hype Friday we did last week. But we have no idea who's good between Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. This year, it's Aiden Hutchinson at the top of the draft, and it's Kayvon Thibodeau, two very good edge rushers who were being told Thibodeau's the guy who we said since last March was going to be the number one pick in the 2022 draft. The Jaguars and Lions, presumably, unless the Lions beat the Falcons next week, like I think they will, will end up getting those players at the top of the draft. It means the Jaguars just get to pick one of potentially two surefire hits at the edge rusher position that gives us no confidence in the Jacksonville Jaguars to hit on said picks because the Jacksonville Jaguars, despite doing all the right things in tanking and trading Jalen Ramsey and getting draft capital, they've botched pretty much everything 
And even Cleveland didn't botch everything. They did have one draft where they redeemed themselves by getting Denzel Ward with the fourth pick. Nick Chubb in the second round. The year before, they got Miles Garrett. Like, they got the chance to redeem themselves. It just took a while to get there. And Jacksonville is in a place where they've done all the losing, they've done the tanking correctly, and it still feels like it's not going to work out. That's a pretty bleak existence. When you're in that position, you've lost twice to the Texans in a season. You have what's presumed to be a generational quarterback. You have what's presumed to be a generational edge rusher coming in this year's draft. And you got two extra first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey and tons of cap space. And it still feels like you're going to mess it up. That's pretty damn remarkable because we assume... When we do draft analysis, no one really knows more than anyone else, and a lot of it is a crapshoot at a certain point. But Jacksonville is playing the percentages well and still coming up with losses. And at a certain point, I just throw up my hands and say, do, does organizational incompetence actually drag down an organization that kind of way? It's pretty remarkable to think about that not have the answers to it, and then be living through it and thinking they're going to get the number one pick for a second year in a row. History will reflect that the Jaguars were the worst team in the NFL two years in a row because sometimes we don't remember who has the number two or three or four picks in the draft, but we always remember who has the number one pick in the draft. History will reflect the Jaguars will have had the number one pick in the draft two years in a row, and it still feels like the future is so damn bleak. For the Jaguars. That could change five months from now. And it could change 12 months from now. Like it did last year. When we thought they were getting Trevor Lawrence. And now it looks even bleaker. Because they're going to get the number one pick again. And they just fired Urban Meyer. Like it's all. Really really ridiculous. And it's really fascinating. Because we just don't know. How it's going to go in the future. For the Jacksonville Jaguars. What we do know though. Is that they're probably going to get the number one pick for the second year in a row. scary for a moment in there it looked scary for a moment but the Miami Dolphins got the win six in a row let's go Miami get that big old sixth win in a row seven and seven I thought we were gonna have the the perfect meme of the weekend episode of the Dolphins losing to the Jets after winning five in a row and having a bye week but no the Miami Dolphins 
did not mess it up. They're seven and seven. They're probably not going to make the playoffs, especially because they play the Saints next week. And I believe, or I'm sorry, they play the New Orleans Camaras. My apologies. They play the Camaras next week, and I feel uh, fairly certain that the Camaras will get a victory there and put an end to this magical Dolphins run. But boy, it's fun while it lasted. Don't you want to believe in those old Miami Dolphins? They could do the unthinkable, make a crazy playoff run. Yeah, I've been saying the whole way, let's enjoy it while it lasted, and it's lasted two months now, so keep on enjoying it. I love playing the Dolphins fight song every week. Let's keep enjoying it while we have it, because even without Jalen Waddle, they were still good enough to just barely eke by the Jets. Uh, Pittsburgh and Tennessee, we need to talk about that game at some point here. Um, This game was the one that had stakes in a really, really lame morning session of games, but it did indeed have stakes. It did indeed have storylines, and the Titans and Steelers game was also impossibly boring, and the Titans couldn't score a goddamn point the second half of the game, and the Pittsburgh Steelers found a way to win, and I thought the Pittsburgh Steelers would find a way to win, and what's interesting about this is that we know the Titans are not good, and we thought they were just by default going to be penciled into the playoffs. They will still make the playoffs as at least a wild card team, but at least the Colts have given us a viable option to catch them in the AFC South. It might take one wacky wild upset, but we do have a possibility of the Colts being able to catch the Titans in the AFC South and and prevent us from having to watch another Tennessee Titans ESPN wild card game with the AFC South. Uh, If only the Colts had gotten one win against the Titans when Derrick Henry was still healthy. If only they'd gotten one win. But anyways, uh, the Titans ended up blowing it at the end. Uh, We've done the podcast many a times where we just laugh at the skill position players for the Tennessee Titans. And I do have to say, the Titans find themselves in a really difficult position because we all know that they can't score points now. I was saying it weeks and weeks before, but now everyone can see that the Titans are going to struggle to score points without Derrick Henry and without any of those members of their offense. Uh, They did the strategy that I thought they would and blitzed the Steelers through and through. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger ended up taking three sacks in the game, not as many sacks as Tannehill somehow, but they took three sacks in the game. He only threw 148 yards. And the Najee Harris had 12 carries for 18 yards. Pittsburgh couldn't do shit on offense. The Pittsburgh Steelers finished the game with 183 yards of offense. And they still beat the Titans. Still beat the Titans. Titans outgained them by 150 yards. And they still took the L. It's unbelievable how the Pittsburgh Steelers found a way to win that because the Titans just kept turning the ball over again and again and again and again and turnovers will cost you as the Titans know by the way Titans lost the Texans because Tannehill threw four interceptions like the turnover battle was the only reason that the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Tennessee Titans in that game it's why Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and company get the ball out so quickly and avoid making the the catastrophic mistakes you saw it with the Chiefs the Chiefs started three and four because Mahomes had 12 interceptions and when he doesn't turn the ball over and he's a slightly neutered version of himself Chiefs win seven in a row, and the turnovers are the only thing bringing down the Titans, because 
Tannehill doesn't have time in the pocket. Taylor Luan's out for the season. He doesn't have a safety blanket of a running back. It's a lot of Deonta Foreman and Jeremy McNichols in the backfield, and he doesn't have options at wide receiver. And I told y'all weeks ago, the Titans are not a Super Bowl contender. I've already taken the victory lap on I told you about the Titans. The episode after they lost to the Texans was titled, I told you so about the Titans. Tried to warn you about the Titans. Everyone sees it now. Nobody believes in the Titans. We all know they're decimated by injuries and we're just kind of like checking to see if there's a weird chance Derrick Henry can play in the playoffs and change all of the math around this. And that's why I saved this game, which actually had real stakes for like the 45th minute of the podcast because it's kind of boring. It's just really, really boring. Even if it was close at the end, both these teams are just really boring to watch. Because their defenses are okay, and their offenses are crap. And the Titans are still going to outpace the Steelers uh, 330 to 180. And it just doesn't matter. (laughs) 330 to 180 just didn't matter at all for the Tennessee Titans. Because they just turned the ball over too much. And it's as simple as that. Seems like box score watching, a little bit. It's just as simple as that sometimes, and the Titans are going to struggle to score points. And even when they get a chance to score points, they turn the ball over because Ryan Tannehill has lost all of his safety blankets and looks like a mere mortal at quarterback. Which, by the way, we've seen this before. I talked about the last three playoff games Ryan Tannehill has played. The Baltimore one, less than 100 passing yards. The Chiefs game, less than 100 passing yards. The, the Patriots game before that, he was somewhere in the 160s back in 2019. Last year against Baltimore, like, 80 passing yards total for Ryan Tannehill. Like, we've seen Ryan Tannehill be vulnerable when you game plan around Derrick Henry. Now you just got a game plan for forced Tannehill to make plays and blitz the holy hell out of Ryan Tannehill, which they did, and Ryan Tannehill made mistakes, and the Steelers could win even while having 150 less yards of offense because the Steelers' offense is totally shattered and broken, except for the two times they weren't against the Vikings secondary in prevent defense and the Chargers defense in prevent defense uh, because they scored 28 points in the fourth quarter of both of those games. But other than that, Steelers can't score more than 20 points in a game. And today they didn't need to score more than 20 points in a game because they won 19 to 13. They're still not going to make the playoffs, but they're still 7-6-1 and and that keeps them in the mix. Last, but certainly not least, on the NFL Monday, we have to acknowledge the fact that the Carolina Panthers did indeed play the Buffalo Bills this week, and this was a classic game of Buffalo had something to play for, Carolina had nothing to play for. Buffalo was like a 13-point favorite coming into the game, and I think they covered the spread, if I remember correctly. I think it came down towards the end a little bit. Yep, 31-14, beat the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Carolina Panthers' season has been over for a couple of weeks now. Uh, Cam Newton had another bad game. Uh, Cam Newton did rush for 71 yards, though, so it makes it look ever so slightly less bad. Uh, a lot of Robbie Anderson for some reason. A lot of a lot of Robbie Anderson end-arounds, it felt like, in the first half of that game. I don't know where the game plan changed there with a the new offensive coordinator, but we've talked about dysfunction for the Panthers, and we talked about the Buffalo Bills. This is what I expected. Buffalo was going to find a way to make the playoffs. They're either the five-seed or the six-seed, They're probably going to win out the rest of the way. If they had won one game here or there without a chaos result, they'd be locked in with the Patriots, 
chance to catch him in the division by winning at Foxborough. More likely they lose. They get to be the five seed. They'll play either the Patriots or the Chiefs in the divisional round. It'll be fun for all of us. Buffalo's a classic second-round exit type of team, and what do second-round exit type teams do? They beat up on shitty teams like the Carolina Panthers, who did not have a kicker because Zane Gonzalez tore his groin during pregame warmups, and they had P.J. Walker out there taking place kicks and practicing onside kicks in the event that they needed an emergency kicker, which they did not, by the way. They never did call upon the emergency kicker. They scored two touchdowns, they went for two both times, converted one, didn't convert another. So, that's the Carolina Panther experience. Their season is over. And they might be dysfunctional, too. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the NFL Monday podcast for week number 15. I appreciate each and every one of you for stopping in here today. Uh, We have got a great week's worth of episodes here on Take It Easy. You can go back to the uh, Wired Up episode we did, Stripe Hype Friday last week. We got memes of the weekend right above this episode. If you've topped all of these off, make sure to check out all of the other archived podcasts, download them, leave a five-star review on Apple. I mean, on Apple and Spotify. Spotify has reviews now. So please leave those reviews if you have the time. It is much, much appreciated. And with that being said, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.